Well, thank you guys for leading with us, helping. Um, it's, I always sing with uh, my wife, and it's different when it's other folks. You've got to kind of tell them what you're doing. She reads my mind and knows exactly where I'm going, but y'all did a good job staying with me. Anthony, I'm sorry. I'm just not very good, but you did a good job playing with me, man. That was, that was, that was good. That was something. Well, it's good to see you. Good to be back to a, a normal uh, Sunday evening. I promise you we will be uh, quick or at least on time. Bernie left Cason, uh, little baby girl, with uh, grandmother tonight, and so she's going to make sure that we're out of here on time to get back to her. So I promise you this is a good night to be here. We're going to move quickly and uh, study together. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to the book of Matthew chapter 4. Book of Matthew, chapter 4. Baseball season is starting up, and so we're getting ready for Little League coming back. We're going to coach pitch this year. We've been doing t-ball, but now we're changing over to coach pitch, and so uh, we're excited about it. The boys are excited about it. But I remember, uh, maybe not last year, but the year before, we started, and we were having a good season. The boys were having fun. They were doing good. They were some of the better kids on the team, and so they were getting to play the good positions, getting the, the ball a lot, getting a lot of action. But the problem was they were on a losing team. Uh, the team was uh, younger boys on the team compared to the other teams, and so they were having fun, but we were just losing. And I remember one day we were driving home from a game, and Boys, you sure played good. You know, you, you got that out. You did good. And Maddox looked up to the front. And he said, Daddy, I do not like to lose. Daddy, I hate losing. I can relate to that. Don't you hate to lose? I mean, when you do something, don't you just, you enjoy to win. You enjoy to do your best. You enjoy success. I'm afraid that for many Christians, many believers, they are losing in their spiritual life. They're going through their spiritual life. We are going through our spiritual life, and we are not seeing victory, but all too often we find ourselves in the midst of defeat. And, and I just believe this. I believe that Christ died not so that we would live in defeat, not so that we would live in bondage under sin, but so that we would be victorious in our Christian life. And so I just want to ask you as we begin, do you want the victory that comes with Christ? Do you want to be victorious? Because if we're okay with defeat, if we're okay with being losers, spiritually speaking, this message will not help. If we're okay with it, we're okay with giving in to the sin, giving in to the temptations, then this message is not going to help us. However, if we look at our life and we see that there is defeat, but we are longing for more, we're longing for victory, I believe in Matthew chapter 4, we find the steps to a victorious Christian life. There is a struggle that every one of us face. It doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you live in a big house or a little house, if you drive a brand new car or an old car, it doesn't matter. Every believer has the struggle with temptation. I, I have found talking to people that you don't outgrow it as you get older. Anybody testify? My granddad's here. He's about 100. He, he could testify to that. You don't outgrow it. There is still sin. There is still temptation all around us. If we could eliminate temptation, then we could eliminate sin. 
As believers, we understand that there is a battle that is raging all around us, and it is for our personal righteousness and our personal holiness. And I want to remind you that's a big deal to God. The Lord tells us to be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. And so there's a lot of preachers that will get up today and they'll say it doesn't matter. They'll talk about the blood of Jesus and how it doesn't matter if you live your life in a sinful way. But I'm here to tell you that is against God and it is against his word. Romans 6, it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? There are those who say, I can sin because the more I sin, the more grace is on my life. And so he says, are we to sin so that there may be more grace? He says, by no means. In the Greek, it's a double negative. Never, no, never. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We're to be a people of holiness and righteousness. I heard about a, a man who had a dog. And he had this dog, and he was trying to teach him a lesson. And so he had the dog about five feet away, and he had a, a little bag of doggy treats. And so he would take a doggy treat out and lay it on the floor, and he would say, stay, dog. But that dog got up and came and ate the treat, and the man took a stick, and he just whapped the dog, and the dog whelped and went back to his spot. man did it again. He got the doggy treat. He put it on the floor. He said, stay, dog. Dog got up and came and got the treat, and he whapped him again, and the dog went back. This happened for several times until eventually the dog realized, if I get up, I'm going to get hit with that stick. And so the man would then put the little treat on the ground, but the dog would never look at the treat. He would keep his eyes focused on his master. I believe the key to victory is that we stay focused on our master. If you want to be victorious, if I want to be victorious in my Christian life, young people, if you want to be victorious in your Christian life, we must stay focused on the master. Hebrews 12, it says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on who? On Jesus. Not on our circumstances, not on what's going on around us, but fixing our eyes upon Jesus. Hebrews 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so if we're going to look to someone, let's look to the one who was victorious over sin. Hebrews 2 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You know what that means? There has never been one time in your life that a temptation was too strong for you to defeat. There has never been one time in your life that the temptation was too much. The Bible says God always provides a way of escape. God always provides a way out from our sin. The presence of Christ in our life equals the victorious Christian life. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. 
Don't stop praying. You know why? Because if we pray without ceasing, we're focused on the Lord. Colossians 3, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. If we want the victorious Christian life, we must be focused on Jesus. Let's look, Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to tell you ahead of time, we're going we're to look at this, but it's going to be a two-part message. So don't get scared when we only get to verse 2 and it's time to go, because we will stop it and finish it up next week. But let's read the whole passage, uh, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Men shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's look at the setting of the temptation. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, obviously he was hungry. Notice chapter 4 begins with the word then. That tells us to look back. What, what just happened? If you look back in chapter 3, you will find that Jesus was just baptized. He was baptized, and in the baptism of Jesus, we see the trinity of the Godhead. We see Jesus, we hear the voice from heaven, and we see the Spirit descending upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And so we see the trinity in this glimpse. We see the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and we see the confirmation of the Father sending Jesus into the world as the Messiah. So in other words, a big event just happened in the life of Jesus. He is ready for his ministry. He is ready to go out into the world and take part in his mission. But it's right after this high point that Satan comes to attack. You know, I'm reminded of the scripture that, that says, Let any man who stands take heed lest he fall. Right? You know one of the most dangerous times in life? One of the most dangerous times in life is after a great victory. And I believe this is true in our personal lives. It's true in the life of our church. It's true in the life of a business. It is a principle that applies to all areas of life. Once we have a large victory in our life, what can easily happen is we become complacent, don't we? And we begin to focus on the past victory, and we begin to forget about the future victories that are ahead of us. 
And so we see that Jesus has just had his baptism. He's just had a great victory in his life. He was living in the Spirit of God. He had communion with the Father. And because of that, the target was upon him. If you're living for God, there is a target upon your life. If you are living a life that honors God, Satan is going to target you. Young people, if you go to school and you try to live a life that honors God, the enemy is going to attack. Now, on the other hand, if you're living a life that is totally about you, that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God, the enemy is going to leave you alone. You're no threat. You're no problem. You can continue in life as usual. But when you get a mission from God and you're ready to work and you're ready to act, I believe the Bible teaches the enemy puts his crosshairs on your life. And it's interesting that instead of going out in public, where does Jesus go? He goes to the desert. He goes to the wilderness. He goes to a desolate place. And the showdown is coming for the hearts and the souls of all men. But Jesus goes out and he takes time privately to prepare himself spiritually for the public ministry that is to come. It's interesting because a lot of us, we want God to use us publicly. You talk to people, you talk to teachers or preachers or folks in any type of leadership and we all want God to use us and to work through us publicly. But I believe that God will not use us publicly until he's been with us privately. If you're not spending time with God in a deep way, on a regular basis, but you think God's going to use you out in the world? You think God's going to use you out in your workplace, out in your school? out in your sphere of influence that you go to, it's not going to happen unless you're spending time with the Lord privately. We see this in the life of Moses. We see it in the life of Elijah. We see it in the life of Paul. And we see it in the life of Jesus. Rather than go out and begin his ministry, he goes and he takes 40 days and 40 nights and he begins to fast. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time fasting through lunch. Don't you? I get hungry at 11.30, so by 1 o'clock, man, I am starving. I can't imagine 40 days and 40 nights fasting. To fast is to put something away that you long for, put something away that you desire, and focus one's attention on God. Most often, fasting is talking about food, but it could be anything that we put out of our life so that we can focus upon God. When's the last time that you fasted? When's the last time that you said, Lord, I want to hear from you? Most of the time in the Bible, fasting is accompanied by prayer. You'll read there's prayer and fasting. And so you fast, and instead of eating or whatever it is you're fasting from, you begin to pray and communicate with God. When's the last time you went to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm so serious about my relationship with you. I'm not going to eat for the next day. And instead of eating, I'm going to pray and seek your face. When's the last time you did that? 
When's the last time you said, Lord, I'm not going to watch any television this week, and instead of watching television, I'm going to pray? I think that would honor God, don't you? When's the last time you said, Lord, I'm not going to be on my social media this week because we're addicted to our social media. So instead, I'm going to fast from my social media and I'm going to seek your face instead. Because if we're honest, isn't God worth more than our Facebook? Isn't he worth more than our television shows? Isn't he worth more than our food? And so the Lord goes out before he begins his public ministry and he steps back and he spends 40 days and 40 nights doing nothing but seeking the face of God. You want to know how to be victorious in your Christian life? Seek the face of God. That's real simple, isn't it? Seek the face of God. And when we come and we say, I really want a deep relationship with God, but I never open up my Bible, you're a liar. Does that make sense? If we say, I long for a relationship with God, but we don't ever open up our Bibles, you're lying to yourself. If we desire a relationship with God, and if we desire a victorious Christian life, we will seek Him. And the more we want to be victorious, the more we will seek Him. Here's our example, and he goes out and he spends 40 days and 40 nights fasting. And then the Bible says that he is hungry. So physically, Jesus is weak. And as soon as we read that Jesus is hungry, you know what happens? The enemy comes. The enemy comes and he's looking for a way to attack. Now, notice something else. I know we're, we're going bit by bit. But notice in the text here, who led Jesus into the desert? The Spirit. Now, look back in your, your verse there. Why did he lead him in the Spirit? To be tempted by the devil. It, it's a neat verse because it, it says just bluntly that Jesus was led by the Spirit. The Spirit wants to lead us, right? He wants to guide us. He wants to direct us. The Spirit of God is not detached from our life. And so the Bible says that the Spirit led Jesus into the desert, and he led him into the desert for the sole intention of being tempted by the devil. Now, some of us, all of a sudden, we have a little problem with that, don't we? Because what does the Bible say? The Bible says that God does not tempt, right? It says that in James. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, and so forth. But here we see the Spirit led Jesus into the desert so that he would be tempted. The word tempted can be translated one of two ways. The word tempted can be translated tempted. The Greek word can be translated tempted, but it can also be translated tested. What's the difference? The difference is when someone is tempted, it is so that that person will fail. When someone is tested, it's so that that person will prove themselves and will be victorious. Scripture, scripture says that God never tempts, but God does test. Let me give you an example of this. I remember a few years back, I was watching TV and commercials came on. That was when you actually had to watch commercials, right? Nowadays, we don't watch commercials. We uh, skip through them or do Netflix and don't watch them. But in this day, you watched commercials. And I remember there was a commercial that came on about Ford trucks. 
And this was right when Ford was introducing the new uh, V6 EcoBoost engine. New technology, new stuff in their trucks. And so they were trying to prove it. And so they went in this commercial and they talked about all the testing they put their truck through. They put this truck and they drove just miles and miles and miles in the coldest environment they could find. And the truck just kept on going. Then they went to the desert, the hottest environment they could find, and they drove that truck for miles and miles and miles, and it just kept on going. They tested the truck. And so they talked about all these different ways they tested the truck, but it just kept on going and going. They wanted the truck to be successful, so they tested it. Very next commercial was a commercial that was put out by Chevrolet. Chevrolet had a Ford F-150 pickup, then they had a Chevy Silverado pickup lined up side by side. They brought out a forklift, and the forklift had a crate full of these big old stones. And they were trying to prove that the aluminum bed on the Ford truck was not as strong as the steel bed on the Chevrolet truck. And so they lifted the stones up really high. They tipped the bucket, and the stones crashed down in the back of the Ford truck. Then they brought the cameras in, and they zoomed in on the camera, and they began to point out all the rips in the bed. The rocks had penetrated through the aluminum and had torn that truck bed apart. And so they say, look at this truck. This is a weak truck. They tempted the truck. And then they brought the same rocks, the same stones, and they did the same thing in their truck. And they dropped the stones down, and the stones fell in the truck. They bounced around. They dented the bed up, but it didn't rip through the bed. And so they said, but look at our truck. Our truck is much stronger. Here's what I'm telling you. They both had their intention, didn't they? They did the same thing, but they were working on their own truck to show how well it was made, but they were working on the opponent's truck to show how weak it was made. When we look at tempting or testing, it's a flip side of the same coin. There's many teachers in here tonight After you teach something, after the material is explained, after the student gets the information, you test them, right? And you test them not so that they will fail, but you test them so that they will succeed. And so Jesus is led by the Spirit of God into the desert, and he is tested, but the Father knows that he will be victorious. And one of the reasons is because he has spent all this time in the presence of God. You spend time in the presence of God, and you will be victorious when the enemy comes your way. Now look back to verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The enemy comes three times to tempt Jesus, and three times Jesus is victorious over those temptations. Notice the enemy comes, and he says, if you are the Son of God. He says this in the first temptation, and the second temptation, and he implies it in the third temptation. 
Now, the devil knows that Jesus is the Son of God, but he is trying to get Jesus to misuse his power. And so here's what he's, what he's saying. He says, Jesus, if you are truly the Son of God, why are you out here hungry? If you're the Son of God, shouldn't you have food to eat? Jesus, if you're the Son of God, look around, and in this day there would be all these, these stones and all these rocks, and they look like bread. Why don't you just turn these stones into bread? Don't you deserve that? Jesus, if the Father loves you, then why would you be out in this desert hungry and suffering like you are? Jesus, I know that you're hungry. If you are truly the Son of God, this makes no sense. Are you sure this is what you want? He's beginning to question what Jesus is doing out in this desert. He's beginning to attack the physical hunger of Jesus. He did the same thing to Eve, didn't he? Remember to Eve, he said, hey, did God actually say that you shall not eat from the tree in the garden? He said, if you eat it, you surely will not die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good from evil. He's manipulating the situation. And he says, Jesus, if you're really the son of God, this situation does not make sense. I wonder if the enemy ever does that to you. I wonder, teenagers, if the enemy ever comes in uh, you, at you and, and says, you know what? You're trying to live a life that honors God, but all your friends are going to these parties and they're having a good time and they're much more popular because of that. If you're the, the children of God, then why is your life so tough? It doesn't make sense. Or, or maybe it happens to us as adults. Maybe the enemy comes in and he says, you know, if you're the, the children of God, why are you going through all these tough times? Financially, why is it tough? It, it makes no sense. Maybe you see somebody driving up in a, a brand new vehicle. Man, they look good, don't they? Mine's going on 11 years old now. Those new vehicles look pretty nice. You say, man, I'd like a new, a new vehicle. And the enemy puts it in your mind, well, if you quit tithing to the church, you could have a new vehicle. The tithe that you give to the church, that would be a, a heck of a, a vehicle payment, wouldn't it? Is it worth it? As the child of God, is it worth it? Is it worth what you're going through? Is it worth the struggles in your life? It, if you're the son of God, Jesus, then why is there this problem in your life? And Jesus comes and he responds. And what does he respond with? Scripture, right? Every time Jesus responds with Scripture, Jesus quotes back from the book of Deuteronomy. And he comes back with Scripture. Listen, another thing right here. If you want to be victorious, you must know the Scripture. Here's the example. When he's tempted, he responds with Scripture, Psalm 110, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It means you're going through life and you've got this lamp and you've got this light and it's leading you and it's guiding you and it's directing you. But if you never open it, you're going to be lost. The Bible says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may, what? Not sin against you. We want to be victorious against sin. We must have the word of God in our heart. And so Jesus knows the word of God. And so when Satan comes and he tempts and he manipulates, Jesus just comes back with the word of God. 
I wonder in your life, have you had a time that you were being tempted, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit reminded you of a scripture, and you used that scripture, and you shot down the enemy? That's what it ought to be as children of God. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will bring scriptures to our memory, and we can be victorious in that way. Jesus quotes out of Deuteronomy. Let me give you the context. Deuteronomy 8, it says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you, there's testing, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man does not live on bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Does your life show that you're living by the word of God? By the way that you live, by the way that you act, by your attitude, by the way that you speak? Does it show that you're living a life that is guided by the word of God? He comes and Jesus is tempted to turn these stones into bread, but Jesus responds and basically he says, man does not live on bread alone. This, this bread you're speaking of, it doesn't matter. I live on the word of God. I'm trusting God. Listen, when God wants to give me food, you know what God's going to do? He's going to give me food. When God wants to fill my hunger, you know what God's going to do? He's going to fill my hunger. And so Jesus says, I don't have to take matters into my own hands because I am trusting God. Boy, our, our life would be more victorious if we could come to that point. I don't have to worry about things. I don't have to bring them in my own control because I trust God. And even though my circumstances are tough, and even though I'm going through difficulties right now, I know that God is in control, and I know that God will meet my needs when he is ready. Philippians 4, it says, And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. How often are we tempted to get ahead of God? Now, let me give you a few more things here. Do you know that it's not sinful for Jesus to turn these stones into bread? That's not a sin, is it? We see later on where Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish. It's in his power. He can do that. You know what the problem is, though? It was not the will of God. Was it a sin? Well, I don't see it written down that Jesus can't do this. But it wasn't the way that God wanted it to happen in this moment. Sometimes we get so caught up in, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't do this, or the Bible doesn't say that I, I have to do this. The question is, what's the will of God in your life? Is this the best for your life? Is this what the Lord wants from your life? Flip over, let's close with this. Flip over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and we'll tie this up and I'll go home to a crying baby real quick. 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 16. I want you to notice in this verse, there are three categories of sin. There are three broad categories of sin, and I want you to see how they relate to the temptation of Jesus. 
1 John chapter 2, verse 16. The Bible says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. There's three categories of sin, and we get a glimpse we get a glimpse of the playbook of our enemy and how he attacks us. And the first one, he says, is the desires of the flesh. A desire is any sort of selfish or greedy craving to satisfy one's physical desire in rebellion against God. Many times it is, it is physical and it is self-centered. And this connects with the temptation of Jesus He's talking about the desires of the flesh, and the Bible just said that Jesus was hungry, so in his flesh he desired food. And so the enemy comes and attacks the flesh and tempts the believer, tempts Jesus in this case, to give in to the desires of the flesh. The enemy did the same thing in the first sin with Eve in Genesis 3. We looked at it a moment ago, but let me give it to you again. It says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And look, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eye, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. She saw the fruit, and it looked good. Her flesh wanted it. It was attractive. It was appealing to her. She wanted to taste it. It looked delicious. And in that instant, she wanted to fulfill the desires of her flesh. Satan would love to destroy your life by the desires of your flesh. And he wants to, to manipulate you to use those God-given desires and use them in a way that is against God. Lots of examples of it. Talk about sex. Sex, beautiful thing that God created inside of marriage. But so many people try to, try to fill that desire outside of God's plan, and it leads to destruction. We can take food, and we can take a gift from God, our desire of food, and we can begin to overeat. And the Lord says, that's not right. We become a glutton. The Lord says, that's not right. We can have these desires for these nice things and begin to live for these nice things and never stop to think about what does God want out of my life. So tonight, the question is, what is it that your flesh is longing for that doesn't honor God. And the enemy comes in and he tempts you and he tempts you and he tempts you and you find that you give in over and over and over again. Something inside that you just want it. You desire it. It's almost a drive to you and the enemy is using that against you. Listen, it can be a drink, right? It can be alcohol. It can be a drug. It could be things we look at on the internet. There's a ton of examples we could use right here. But Satan is coming and he's attacking our families to get us to do things that do not honor God. James 4, 8. How do we, we be victorious? It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Resist the devil and draw near to God. That's how we do it. So what do we see tonight? How was Jesus victorious? He spent time with God. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He sought the face of God. Number two, he knew the word of God. He responded with the word of God every single time. And number three, he knew the character of God. So he trusted God. He knew the character. He knew that he was the son of God, but he knew that he could trust the father because the father was in control. In our life, if we are spending time with God, if we know the word of God, and if we trust the character of God, we will find victory in our spiritual life. I want to ask you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about it. In your life, how is the enemy being victorious? What are the temptations that the enemy is laying before you and you find that you just give in to them? You're chasing after the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. Can I just tell you, it's a big deal to God. You may say, well, nobody knows about it. God knows about it. God knows what you're doing when nobody else is around. In what way in your life are you being defeated spiritually? And are you ready to be victorious? The Bible tells us that we are not under bondage to sin any longer because of the blood of Jesus. So it really just comes down to us as believers. Will we walk in victory Will we abide in the Spirit of God? Will we live a life that honors God? Will we seek the face of God? Will we spend time in the Word of God? Will we trust the character of God? Or will we continue to live in defeat this week, next month, next year, and for the rest of our life? The choice is mine, and the choice is yours. The work's been done. Will you live in defeat or will you live in victory? Where's the defeat in your life? I wonder if maybe you want to pray about it right now. Pray that God would give you strength. Call out to God and ask for strength over a specific area that you're struggling with in your life. Call out 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation that's overtaken me except what is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear, but when I'm tempted, God will provide a way out so that I can stand up under it. The temptation is not too great. It's not too strong. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for these who have come, God, and uh, just a, a desire to grow. And Lord, I pray as we've studied your scripture tonight, that we have seen principles that we can apply to our life to be victorious. 
God, I pray that if there's struggles in our personal life, there's, there's temptations that we keep giving into, Lord, I pray that we will be strong. I pray that we will resist the devil and that we will draw near to you and we will find victory. Lord, let us to be a people of righteousness, of holiness, of godliness, and to be a people that you will use in public because we're spending time with you in private. Lord, let us be a people that honor you. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.